0: The World Economic Forum did a future of jobs report uh, published in in 2020, and it identified that 50% of people will need to be reskilled by 2025 due to the digital disruption, AI, climate change, COVID, (laughs) you name it. And interestingly enough, eight of the 10 top future skills required by 2025 were thinking and people skills. Only two of them were traditional crystallized knowledge skills. You're listening to KBCast, the cybersecurity podcast for all executives. Cutting through the jargon and hype to understand the landscape where risk and technology meet. Now, here's your host, Carissa Breen.
1: Philip, welcome to the show. I'm really excited to have you here today. I know that I have spoken to you recently in a fair few weeks about the fluid thinking, which we're going to get into today. And I'm really curious about your background and also some of the stuff that you have developed, which we're going to get into today. So before we get into the specifics of that, we always like to start our podcast off with talking about you and your journey. So can you please talk to our listeners about what you've sort of done historically and what are you sort of doing today?
0: Well great to join you Carissa and um, yes happy to give you a bit of my background. So uh, when I was growing up I went to uh, 10 different schools not because I was thrown out of them but we moved around a lot so uh, I became quite adept at dealing with a lot of change and uh, adapting it came fairly naturally to me. And uh, I'd always had a fascination uh, with the brain and the mind and how they work so I uh, I undertook a Master of Cognitive Science degree which gave me a a much greater insight into both of those issues. After that, I set up a a company which um, helped organizations when they were implementing uh, CRM systems and ERP systems by ensuring that the people factors were proactively addressed because one of the things I came across in the cognitive science was most technology implementations went astray because of the people factor, not the technology. And that worked so successfully uh, in terms of working with the senior executives and leading that change management approach that I then set up uh, my current company called EnigmaFit. And we work with uh, fast-growing entrepreneurs and and senior executives of major global organizations such as the Boston Consulting Group, eBay, Marsh Centre Group, who... Uh, own and operate the Westfield Shopping Centres in Australia and New Zealand. And we focused on enhancing their learning, their thinking, and their leadership skills. So what our aim is to improve what we call, and you may have heard the term coming up lately, the adaptability uh, quotient. So everybody's heard of IQ and EQ, the emotional uh, quotient, but adaptability is that ability to adapt. And successfully lead people, and you may have heard the World Economic Forum uh, term the fourth industrial revolution, uh, which is proceeding at pace and, and driven by digital disruption and AI changes. So all of this is is driving the leader, whether they're an entrepreneur of their own company or a senior executive of a global organization, to adapt and change and lead much more effectively and efficiently.
1: Yeah, I love that. I love that you went to 10 different schools and you said, like, you weren't kicked out of them. But I guess it was probably, would you say that was sort of the inception when you started to understand that level of adaptability because you had to go in, you had to make new friends. I mean, I only changed schools twice, moving from middle school into high school. And would you say that because of that, that's helped sort of spur on your career today?
0: Yes, because I think what it did is it, it because when you go to a new school, you've got to fairly quickly sense what's going on and who's who, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. And that's probably one of the key things in social leadership, which um, a, a, a lot of the technical uh, entrepreneurs we work with and senior technical people often struggle with a bit. So it just alerted to me what's going on with some people's brains that they can do this quickly and easily and without effort and what's going on in other people's brains that uh, they'll often tell me, Philip, my brain just doesn't work that way. So that was the thing that got my curiosity up to to really do the Master of Cognitive Science so I could understand the why because it's only once you understand the why that you can look at how you can change things.
1: Yeah, I absolutely love that because... Even when I was a kid, I was always like, like, what's going on in that person's brain? Or I always, sometimes when we could travel into the city, if you're sitting on a train or something, I always used to think like, I wonder what's going on in that person's life or what's going on in their brain. So I've always been curious myself. So for full disclosure, uh, Philip has given me access to the test, the fluid thinking test. And then as a, as part of your process, you, you analyze the, the test and it's not about how smart you are or if you've gone to Harvard University. It's really about <laughs> how how you've sort of been as a child. And so off the back of that, we did uh, the report and it was so interesting because what I liked about the report is it gave specificity into how my brain works. And there is definitely some areas where I knew that I was stronger at and there was definitely some areas where I knew I had weaknesses and all of the comments, I think, on the second or third page, it really it was spot on. And I really enjoyed that. So that's why I think it was really important that I go through that to understand inherently what that meant to me so I can talk about it from my firsthand perspective of actually doing the fluid thinking test and going through the, the, the session with you. So I'm really keen to sort of explore the areas of leadership, because I've had a few people on the show talking about leadership in the cybersecurity arena specifically. And you you touched on it before, like social leadership. Now, the lady I spoke to just before interviewing you, she really focused on soft skills are important, and then there's not enough focus on the industry with soft skills. So with that context, and everyone's aware that I've obviously participated in in the test and have done the report, I 'd like for you now Philip to, to explain what fl- fluid thinking is, and then how does this sort of learning apply to leaders today if you if you could please do that
0: sure and I, and I think let, let's look at it as as a journey because that's probably the easiest way to understand it so what happens as when you're growing up as a child and an adolescent the sorts of activities and games and hobbies is what the brain uses to, uh, in computer language, code in your brain your metaphorical brain routines, if you like. So games and activities you did a lot of, you become very efficient of it, and you can do it subconsciously and easily and without thinking. However, uh, when somebody was growing up as a child, once you reach your late teens or early twenties, your brain tends to hardwire. And so the things that were a strength at that age remain a strength and the things that were uh, derailers or or inhibiting performance even around social leadership tend to stay that way unless you do something to recode the brain. And the way we recode the brain is to literally tap into the brain's inherent neuroplasticity. And a lot of people have probably heard the term uh, neurons that fire together, wire together. So we do a thing called deliberate practice, which is how we literally recode the the individual's uh, brain routines in these 10 subconscious thinking habits, which underpin the fluid thinking. So let me first of all, compare and contrast um, uh, fluid thinking from crystallized knowledge. So crystallized knowledge uh, is what people know. So from childhood times, it might be your multiplication table and your, your, your capital cities, and it's driven by the left brain activity, and you, you take it in through language, and you say the capital cities through language. And then as we get older, it, it is, becomes our subject matter expertise. So, for example, a doctor needs to know about the body's anatomy, or an accountant needs to know all about profit and loss statements and balance sheets, etc. So... Anything that you can say of what you know is uh, what we call the crystallized knowledge. And this comes from science that's been done for over 50 years. Now, we contrast that with with kind of the the opposite side. So the, the crystallized knowledge is the domain of the left hemisphere, whereas the fluid thinking is the domain of the right hemisphere of the brain. In the right hemisphere of the brain is looks at things uh, such as diagrams and uh, pictures and relationships and visual imagery, etc. And it's where the brain uh, solves new and novel problems that it hasn't faced before. So you can't just leverage off that past knowledge base of experience that you've got in that left hemisphere, the crystallized knowledge. So we think of it as kind of a raw intelligence. And, and as one of the original authors of CHC theory said. It's what you use when you don't know what to do. So the thing is, if you want to develop social leadership skills and you haven't been able to, uh, you know, you might have attended some course or some program or had a coach and they tell you what to do, that's crystallized knowledge. That's talking to your left hemisphere. But if you want to learn how to do it and how to apply it at the workplace, you need to do it through the right brain fluid thinking because that's the area of the brain where we learn new and different things. And you'll hear people say, oh, you know, I know social leadership's important, Carissa, but my brain just doesn't work that way and I've tried so many things and nothing seems to work. So the reason it doesn't work is um, there's no point giving people more information about what social leadership looks like you need to literally rewire their brain, recode their brain routines so that they can do that just as easily and effectively as um, other areas there. So uh, does does health give you uh, uh, enough of the detail there or would you like me to drill down a little bit lower?
1: Yeah, I think that's great. And I like how you sort of made a reference to it's sort of hardwired in your brain like in your, in your teenage years because I mean, just well everyone's going to know this but I was obviously higher in the in the test on the social leadership side of things which people probably aren't surprised due to the nature of the work that I do but historically speaking I was actually an incredibly shy child I didn't like speaking to people I was very nervous uh and then I, I don't know I think that I had to learn these skills probably when I did move schools because you had to make friends and you you had to sort of prove who you were and all that type of stuff. So maybe that's where that shift happened. And then I had this hard wiring in my brain. So it's, it's very interesting that, that you, that you've been able to identify that's the time in your life because maybe people are confused around, well, when I became a leader is when this was hardwired, but it was actually way before that.
0: Exactly. Exactly. And it's interesting. Um, as I mentioned, I'm writing a book at the moment, and we, we talk about the accidental brain app like you have on a on a, a phone. And the brain application, each individual's brain application is an accidental one because it, it wasn't designed and programmed. It just happened by accident by whatever ad hoc things you were doing as a child. So now what we can do with the approach that we use we can upgrade and redesign your own personal brain app and as you saw there were some areas where you were very strong and, and those areas uh, we just leave as is but there were other areas that i that we could identify a gap and now what we can do is specifically design a series of uh, programs so we rewire your brain in those areas which will bridge that gap and so the whole aim is now that we can uh design and upgrade and optimize the brain app across all sorts of areas such as analytical thinking, strategic thinking, innovative thinking, as well as all the social leadership aspects. And I'll I'll drill down a little bit more on each of those uh, a little bit later on. But it's the difference between the accidental, if you like, childhood, adolescent brain app and the deliberate design app that you need as an entrepreneur or as a senior executive.
1: Yeah, I love that. I think that's awesome. And I love, like I said, the specificity on what's pertinent to me as an individual, because that's obviously not going to work for everyone. So basically, after the test, uh, your guys on your end analyzed that we did the report, and then we walked through the report. We shared screens. You showed me this is the overall structure. This is how I'm going to run through the report. And so I think the second page, it highlighted highlighted those top four cognitive pillars as part of the fluid thinking report and then how they sort of apply to leadership. So, Philip, could you please sort of advise those four uh, cognitive pillars and what they are?
0: Sure, sure. And um, so we use this framework of four cognitive pillars, and uh, which, which are part of the fluid thinking And I'll also just introduce the term um, subconscious thinking habits, which relate to that, because our, our brain is driven by these 10 subconscious thinking habits, such as the analytical thinking and strategic thinking. So they happen below our conscious awareness. So somebody might want to be better at analytical thinking, but there's no real crystallized knowledge uh, uh, approaches, which will change that because you need to rewire the brain over a period of time. So what I'll do to to just give a little bit more background context, the the World Economic Forum did a future of jobs report uh, published in in 2020. And it identified that 50% of people will need to be reskilled by 2025 due to the digital disruption, AI, climate change, COVID, you name it. And interestingly enough, eight of the 10 top future skills required by 2025 were thinking and people skills. Only two of them were traditional crystallized knowledge skills. So within that framework, the first cognitive pillar that we look at is the ability to control your attention. So. intriguingly over 90 percent of people that we test have only low or moderate ability to control their attention
1: and sorry philip just to just to jump in there for a second do you believe it's because the world in which we live in today we can get things on demand we are watching videos that can only last three seconds before we're on to something else do you think that that's lower now in your experience because of the society we live in today
0: I think that exacerbates the situation. Um, I think what's happened is if you look at the evolution of the brain and go back to when we were hunters and gatherers, we had to have a really soft focus and, and, and a continually scanning the environment for, for you know, food or, or for predators. Um, and, and, and only when we, we found an animal, we'd all hone in and we'd have a hard focus as, as we went in to capture the the animal so it was kind of 95 percent soft focus and five percent hard focus when we needed it to be you look at the way a person works now and uh, particularly in COVID, they sit in front of a screen two or three feet away from them and they expected their brains expected to be in a hard focus mode for about 95 percent of the time and that's just not how we've been evolutionary wired and then you so the brain is naturally distractible in fact the economist magazine report of last year on, on focus found that people are distracted 30 percent of the time approximately which is quite amazing and and so that's the reason is this lower uh, ability to control the attention and then it's exacerbated because we've got so much more stimulus you know we've got uh, im we've got emails we've, we've got the social media we've got <laughs> sms And the brain's going, oh, something more interesting to disrupt me from this boring uh, high priority I, I need to do. And then, you know, you think you'll check one email and instead of it taking two minutes, you end up checking all the others and half an hour to an hour later, you've lost all that time. So the other thing about controlling attention and focus, it's very hard to learn optimally if your brain is wandering and daydreaming. And again, some other research indicated that, uh, most brains wander about 50% of the time. So it's the key area, the, it's, it's the one that we look to address because most people have it and it gives you the most payoff because uh, it, it means that you can start things early, you can stay focused on the, the key priority. You're not leaving things to the last uh, to the last minute. And, and people that have done this are so surprised at how much more mental energy they have at the end of the day because they're not jumping from one thing to another, which, which takes up a lot of time, takes up a lot of mental energy and is actually the, the, the least productive way to work.
1: And so with the other pillars, would you be able to just go on and explain those as well?
0: Sure. So the next pillar we look at, whether you're an entrepreneur or a senior executive, is is the whole area of what's called complex problem solving. And and this is one of the top 10 skills that uh, the World Economic Forum looks at. And it could be a problem or it could be an opportunity. So it's associated with the three subconscious uh, thinking habits. So the first one is analytical thinking, which is how we analyze a complex problem or opportunity and break it down into bite-sized chunks so we can define the problem. So if somebody's lower at this, it takes them longer to do it and they probably don't define the problem as well because until you define a problem, you can't really set about solving it. And then once you've uh, done the problem definition stage, we, we tap into what we call the innovative thinking. So innovative thinking is the ability to basically um, go in there and, once you've got the problem to work out what are all of the different types of solutions we can brainstorm and generate. So so from that point of view, what we're looking at is we can come up with half a dozen different solutions and, and then we move to the next stage, which is the conceptual thinking. And what we do with the conceptual thinking is we look at those half a dozen solutions and say, which one's the best to meet the problem definition. And if people are lower in conceptual thinking, well, the the top three will seem equally valuable in terms of meeting their problem definition. And then what happens is that they take a long time to get to the best solution from there. So complex problem solving is actually, as you can see, quite complex and a very high order one.
1: So, Philip, I wanted to move on to the next pillar, but before we do that, from memory, as part, of the, as part of the complex problem solving, there was a section under analytical thinking that sort of then rolled up into complex problem solving. Now, I'm obviously showing my my cards here a little bit, but I, I want people to know my experience and, and how this has applied to me which then can apply to, to you or to people listening to it so my analytical thinking was lower not because i don't analyze but probably to the extent that i over analyze things which becomes counterproductive so is that is that correct in my interpretation
0: yeah so so basically what happens when people have lower analytical thinking is that it takes them a lot longer to analyze a situation relative to somebody that's got high analytical thinking. So the overanalyzing is that your brain doesn't naturally like to deal with lots of detail and when, if you've got a complex problem, there usually is a lot of detail with it. So it's just gonna take you longer to go through all of the detail to kind of get to the same end outcome as somebody who's high in analytical thinking. So it's not that you're overanalyzing per se, it's just, that the process is less efficient for you, so it takes more time. And also what happens with that is that um, it takes you more time to break down the the complex problem, and you can't start solving it until you've broken it down into the bite-sized chunks because you've got to know what is the first piece that we need to do to solve it. And, And you can't start on that until you've completely broken it down and defined it. So that's why sometimes people with the lower analytical thinking also find that they tend to p- procrastinate a bit because until they've broken it down completely, they can't work out what's the first thing that they need to do. So does that help to explain it uh, there, Carissa?
1: Yeah, no, that's better. I just want people to be across like how it can be lower, but can be interpreted a different way. So Yeah, and when,
0: one thing I'd like to just, uh, sorry to interrupt, one thing I'd like to just make clear is, um, what people really like about the feedback and report they get is that we're not judging people we're not saying good or bad. We're talking about lower efficiency, moderate efficiency, higher efficiency. Because remember the brain wiring in a person's analytical thinking that you're the example you're giving occurred when you were growing up as a child. So you didn't consciously put effort into design it that way. That's why we call it the accidental brain app but now if somebody wants to say you know what that's that that's been bugging me for all of my career that uh, you know what you term the overanalyzing and not wanting to deal with detail and procrastinating now you have the opportunity to redesign it and rewire your brain so you can do that as uh, effectively and efficiently as the social leadership skills for instance so that's the power of being able to change it because up until now w- we can give language-based crystallized knowledge about analytical thinking but if somebody's analytical thinking brain routine to use the metaphor is inefficient then it doesn't matter how often you're told what to do (laughs) the brain routine can't run it efficiently anyway so that's why we need to do this uh, tap into the brain's plasticity to rewire it to recode the routine so it now runs much much more efficiently and effectively.
1: So, Philip, can you move on to the next pillar and explain what that is as well?
0: Sure. So, the next pillar we're looking at is um, um, strategizing, planning and execution. So, once you've solved the problem or or looked at what we need to do for this next big opportunity, we need to work out how we're going to solve the problem or how we're going to bring the opportunity to life. And unfortunately, a lot of people's brains are wired for, action so they literally just jump into the doing whereas ideally for somebody who's running their own entrepreneurial company or a senior executive we need to break that next step of the how down into three very different but complementary thinking styles so the first subconscious thinking habit is strategic thinking and strategic thinking we're talking about here is not corporate strategy that you get taught at an mba it's, you know, from a definite, definitional point of view, how do you think about coming up with a strategy to uh, address an issue that you've never dealt with before? Because remember, fluid thinking is defined as the ability to solve new and novel problems. If you're using what you've done in the past, that's not using your strategic thinking, it's using your pattern recognition. So strategic thinking is that ability to step back and say, oh, what are three or four approaches that we could take? How can I create a path forward for the team to follow? And then how do I structure my communication around this so it's really simple and easy for people to understand? So that's the first part. And again, over 90% of people test lower or moderate in strategic thinking. So what we do with that slower is we really focus on that to get it up to the level that we want. And then the next thing, once somebody's worked out their strategy uh, that they want to apply to a problem or an opportunity is to work out the plan of how they're going to execute that strategy. So we call it the strategic plan, pretty much equivalent to a project plan in the IT speak. And what we're looking at from that perspective is how do we break it down into the bite-sized chunks? What do we do first? What do we do second? What do we do third? Which uh, team leaders do I point to do? Which particular modules? What can we do in parallel? What has to be done serially? And also very importantly, the abstract thinking is what we use to project uh, steps through mentally in our minds before we do something. And it's really important in delegation. So. The, a lot of executives I talk to get very disappointed that they only get back half of what they thought they asked for when they delegated. And when I go through it with them, it's it, it's the way that they use their abstract thinking to uh, brief the person that they're delegating is that's the issue. It's not normally that the person hasn't done what was asked from there. So this is a real game changer in terms of getting leverage. So as I say, you, you use strategic thinking to work out the strategy, you use abstract thinking to uh, to work out the strategic plan and how you delegate it, and then the last part is operational thinking, which is obviously how we implement it with the strategy and plan in mind. So we want to make sure that the implementation is as pragmatic and practical as possible, and we also want to minimise any rework. Uh, now, one thing is a lot of people are overdeveloped in this area, and, and the, a sign of that, if you hear somebody saying, Philip, by the time I delegate the, that task to somebody else, I could have done it myself. That's normally a sign that they're overdeveloped in the operational thinking because they find it very difficult to think abstractly and work out how to delegate it uh, effectively. So, um, so they're the three different uh, thinking uh, subconscious thinking habits of that pillow strategic thinking, abstract thinking, and operational thinking.
1: Yeah, and I think even in the operational side, I got overdeveloped because uh, I'm a doer. I like to do things. I don't like to stuff around. So, but then it can work against you because I've overdeveloped that area. So it's it's interesting. Like that, you, you really do have to go through the report and sit with someone like you or one of your other um, course directors. Is that what they are called?
0: Like we call them executive brain coaches.
1: That's what they call executive brain coaches. <laughs> so I think that's important because you could misinterpret it by reading the report just straight off the bat. So I think that's important to understand the difference.
0: And just a little comment on, on that part there with the overdevelopment. Again, a person doesn't deliberately do that in childhood. But if you look at current work, we reward people for activity, And if somebody's looking out the window thinking strategically or planning about the thing and the boss walks by, the boss is half as likely to say, come on, get back to work. But they're doing the most important work. So, unfortunately, um, we're built in and continue to increase and overdevelop operational thinking by rewarding activity rather than uh, the thinking and the outcomes from there. So, I just wanted to relate that to the current situation as well, Carissa.
1: That's so true because people want to see tangible results. Like, well, you're sitting in an organization. People want to see output. They want to see delivery. They want to see things in the black and white. Whereas if someone's just sitting there thinking, uh, you're still working, but it's a different way of working. It's not necessarily something that you can see straight away. So then we move on to the last pillar, which is the area that I was higher in, um, but obviously probably just due to the nature of who I am. And I think also... From the the industry that we work in, I would say that this area is probably lower for a lot of executives in the IT security space. Would you say that's the case as well?
0: Uh, look, an- anecdotally, people that work more in uh, what I would call the technical professions um, uh, often are higher on the complex problem solving ability, which is underpinned by kind of the the, ration- the hard rational thinking skills and lower on the the social leadership uh areas which are which are more the soft sensing type of skills so let me kind of break that down so the first um uh subconscious thinking habit uh related to social leadership is what we call nonverbal thinking so it's the ability to read things like body language and um so, which is particularly important when you're engaging with people one-on-one and you're wanting to build rapport with them, etc. And so, if somebody's low on that, they, their brain literally doesn't trigger that. Uh, you know, Mary or Brian has got this strange look on their face or their body posture's changed, etc., etc. So they're not even aware that you know Mary or Brian may not be fully on board with what's going on. So if that doesn't reach your brain's awareness, there's no trigger for the habit to, to say, hey, what's up, Mary? You, you, you look as though you've, you've got some other thinking on this. And if you don't ask the question, then you think you're bringing Mary on the journey with you and you lost her from the first sentence. So can you see how that can play out as the first uh, component of the social leadership area there, Carissa?
1: Yes, absolutely. It's about having that EQ as well.
0: Yeah, well, it it, it impacts, EQ is quite complex. EQ is uh, probably impacted by seven or eight of these uh, subconscious thinking habits. And and I'll elaborate that a a little more because the EQ is also uh, fundamentally underpinned by the next subconscious thinking habit, which is called uh, perspective thinking. So this is the ability to change your perspective or your orientation. And the way it plays out in social leadership is, It's the ability for me to see things from your perspective or from another person's perspective. So I could be having a red-hot discussion and argument with somebody, but it's important that we understand and acknowledge back to them that we hear where they're coming from. Whereas if somebody is lower at the perspective thinking, You know, there's people that they only seem to be able to see things from their own perspective and talk from their own point of view. Well, from a social leadership point of view, that's really annoying and frustrating to other people because this perspective thinking underpins what we call the empathy. And again, if somebody's lower on perspective thinking, it's not that they're deliberately choosing not to be empathetic. It's just that their brain doesn't even get a trigger of, hey, some empathy would go down well now. So so can you see why that one is so important? And, and it certainly is a, a very uh, critical aspect of, uh, of emotional, uh, of EQ and, and another one, just to be aware, because a lot of technical people are very uh, efficient at analytical thinking and con- uh, conceptual thinking. So they get to the end point quicker than a lot of their uh, colleagues and peers and employees. And they get very frustrated because they think, surely this is as plain as the nose on your face, surely you see that. And I have to explain to them that if a person has lower analytical thinking or lower conceptual thinking, no, they don't see it at that point in time. And you have to give them more time because that frustration of somebody who's you know already come to the conclusion spills over and feels like arrogance to a lot of people and uh the the the, the person that's uh, very high on on those two can sometimes engage in demeaning language of you know come on let's just get on and do it and surely you get what i'm talking about etc so it's just something to be a little bit aware of there as well because that impacts that eq that you were talking about so that was a little sidebar on the eq but let me turn back it does impact to the social leadership And then the final one on the social leadership, the different style of thinking is intuitive thinking. And again, this is very much a sensing skill. So in in the days before COVID and lots of lockdown then, uh, we used to be in meeting rooms and we'd do presentations and have discussions. So intuitive thinking is the ability of the brain to just sense and read the environment. And, you know, that term, read the room. And so you're getting the vibe of the, the room. So if somebody's low in that, they kind of don't get the vibe of what's going on and can be a bit out of sync with everybody, which kind of starts to become apparent. But it's also what, what the brain uses for um, uh, what we call the, the gut feel and the street smarts. So we don't advocate making decisions from gut feel. The, the gut feel is generally the information uh, it's being processed so quickly by the right brain that it gets a sense that something's not quite right, but the right brain doesn't have the language to be able to <laughs> say that to the left brain. So it comes across as a feeling. And, and the, the, what we advocate for people, if you've got a feeling something's not quite right, then act on it and go and get more information and analyze it, etc. Because if you don't, it tends to come back and create grief down the track. And the same with the the, the street smarts. If, if you're not quite feeling right about somebody, get a bit more information dig a bit deeper because otherwise uh, you may find down the track oh i wish i hadn't have done what i did with that particular person so all of the these that's why we call them soft sensing thinking skills rather than hard rational thinking skills which a lot of the other ones are and and so if a person is down in any one or more of those uh then that's going to impact the social leadership skills and as i said they're also overdeveloped um, uh, if they're very high on both analytical thinking and conceptual thinking, that can make it harder for other mere mortals to relate to them socially and easily. So does that cover what you were after, Carissa?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And you just to go back a step, we were talking before around someone getting there quicker because they've got high analytical thinking or complex problem solving and then they get frustrated. And I think that's the most prominent problem we have in this space So, for example, what I mean by that is if we've got a leader and then they're like, oh, but I I told my staff to do this security awareness training and then they still don't listen. And so I think you can hear the frustration and the strain in their voice, but then I think it comes down to this this social leadership side of things on how do we actually understand human beings to actually get them to do the things that we want to do. And so it's because the, the, the leader or the senior manager has arrived there quicker than everyone else, doesn't mean that they've solved the problem. And that's where I believe that one of the biggest gaps that we have in the industry, not only to empower their their security team, but also to get their executives on board with their decision. They can see the security problems, but they struggle a lot more, even what you've said before. And anecdotally speaking, not necessarily mathematically or scientifically speaking, that that's where the frustration comes from because of just how these people are wired and that's why I believe there's still a massive gap in our market, so to speak.
0: Yeah, it, it's a it's a very interesting point that you raise. And, and, and let me respond in part by saying that, you know, at some level, you kind of think, well, if I've got social leadership skills issues, I'll, I'll do a social leadership program and it'll tell me what to do. But all that does is treat the symptoms because the root cause of the social leadership skills is some lower efficiency in one or more of the 10 subconscious thinking skills. So if you want to get to the cause, that's why you need to recode that subconscious thinking habit that's related to it by rewiring the brain. Just learning more about it means you're more knowledgeable and you have more comprehension of it, which will probably just cause more uh, (laughs) frustration because although you know more about it, you're not able to apply that new learning because that new learning and the application and adapting is driven by the right brain fluid thinking the acquisition of the knowledge is driven by the left brain crystallized knowledge so the the two hemispheres and 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 the uh, crystallized knowledge and the fluid thinking need to be thought of as like Brain balance a, a yin and yang if you like and, and when we've got those two in brain balance we can get to a state of a, a mental chi state so we can work effectively efficiently with uh, high resilience and and not using up lots of mental uh, energy and and anguish but the problem we've got with traditional education and training and coaching is it's it's way out of balance in terms of let uh, brain language training of concepts rather than getting the brain to rewire itself and learn how to adapt and apply the new learnings better. So we're, 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 not, we're treating the symptoms, not the cause. And so I think for your audience who comes from a highly skilled technical background, if they think about it, you know, for some reason when I was growing up, my perspective thinking wasn't as efficient routine wasn't written as efficiently as uh, as my analytical thinking and so you just go so i just need to get uh recode that uh, particular uh perspective thinking brain routine because that's how i get better at it there just learning more about it is is not going to help you get better at it because you need to address the cause so um so that's that's the difference between kind of the social leadership which which we need to drive that um rewiring of the brain versus just giving more uh, information about it and and, uh, as I say in in technical areas there there is a greater propensity for people to have lower social leadership skills and part of that is we've also got going on a different style of leadership so in the past knowledge was power and and you know position was power and if if somebody of a higher authority could tell somebody to do it they were just expected to do it. These days, it's uh, particularly with the uh, millennials, it's about much more uh, being a collaborator and influencing and leading people's thinking so they come on the journey willingly with you than just dishing out orders and directives. And and that means we need to engage with their brain to explain more why are we doing this, why is this important to uh, us as an organisation, to me as a manager, but also to you as an employee because if we don't address the why we haven't engaged their brain well their brains just thinking oh well this is just another thing i, I add to the 50 i've already got on the to-do list and yeah i'll get around to it one day but until we engage their brain to go oh that's why this is important oh why didn't you tell me that before yeah i'll fix that up this afternoon and start doing the the, the course so unless we engaged at the wide level, we're not going to get people coming on the journey with us. And, and often I find a, a, a lot of technical people, where, you know if you think of metaphorically leading the team through a mountain range, um, uh, if, because their thinking is so quick as a leader, they're at the top of the mountain seeing all the opportunities and the team's still down in the valley not seeing anything that the leader's seeing see, and they're going, what the heck are they talking about from there? So you need to lead the thinking and bring them on the thinking journey with you and tap into the why and what impact it's going to have on them if you want them to come on the journey with you.
1: That's so true. I mean, I've spoken to many executives and they've sort of said, we buy a security awareness training and my staff have to go and do the security awareness training. It's like, don't pick up USB then he's like, why is that? And I was like, well, that's a good point. I don't know why people don't include why, but that's how I'm empowered to do something. If I know why I'll do it. If you just sort of direct me and sort of ferociously tell me what to do, I'm likely to not do it. So I think there's that, that, that learning around understanding human beings that if we understand why we do things, whether it's in, in business or personal, think you're more likely to get an outcome and that's why I believe the massive disconnect is in our in our field today
0: just before you leave that point because I think you sum that up really nicely so if you start with the why you tap into what will motivate people but often a lot of technical people go into the what and the how and and don't really address the why so think of what have I got to do to motivate my people's brains to come on the journey with me because until you've got them engaged at the y level there's no talking about the what and the how we're going to uh, to improve that particular area so I just wanted to pick up on an important point that you made there
1: absolutely it's having that awareness and so Would you say then, I mean, off the back of that, from your experience that most leaders aren't even aware of the areas that they need improvement? And I say this because as part of the session that we did in in the report, I could clearly see the areas that I personally needed to improve on, which then made it a lot easier for me to digest. And then, of course, act with intention on improving those areas because I want to be efficient. I, I don't want to work on areas that I'm stronger at. I want to find the weaker areas and hone in on those and then work towards improving those.
0: Yeah, and and you and I were talking about different types of um, instruments that that people can do. And, and, and you know, most people have had a, a number of personal instruments that they've been through. So a, a lot of them have that awareness of what are their strengths and, and what are their derailers. But the problem is... They don't get given a path forward so and sometimes they're just told play to your strengths and avoid your weaknesses well you know we've got the fourth industrial revolution going on change is going to be so rapid that those weaknesses uh, can inhibit your ability to to lead uh, from that perspective so what what we need to do is just to ensure that the when we take people through the report like we did with you. We not only explain the what, but we really importantly explain the why. So why is this particularly an area of strength for you? You know why are you such a, a great innovative thinker and an entrepreneur, uh, and, and why is it that you find uh, you know you get into this over analyzing? Because if you don't understand the why, you don't understand how to go about changing it from there. So by being able to address the why uh, you need to change and why you have certain strengths and derailers, it uh, gives people that missing piece of the jigsaw puzzle because most people I find are self-aware of their strengths and derailers. Sometimes there are a few blind spots, and this is a, a good instrument to find those out. But it's just they'll say to me, oh, Philip, I've been trying to get more focused for years. But whatever I do, I do time management courses and priority courses and, you know, I understand it all, but I'm still easily distracted. And when I explain, well, that's because your subconscious thinking habit of focused thinking is of lower efficiency, Um, just doing time management courses or prioritization courses are treating the symptoms. We need to get your focused thinking up, get that brain routine up and recode it, and then you'll be able to do it as quickly and easily as everything else from there. So um, most times people have tried to address their derailers, but the the approach they've taken hasn't worked because they're not working at that brain uh, uh, routine, or the or they're not upgrading their brain app for a better term. Does that help to explain it for you, Carissa?
1: Yes, that's excellent. I love that. Uh, so I guess we've so looked at people potentially not being aware, but. From my understanding, there are a lot of leadership books, courses, coaches, etc., out there. But they are perhaps more generic and not necessarily specific to each individual, which is completely understandable. I mean, if you go to Dimmicks and you buy a, a book about leadership, of course it's not going to be specific to Carissa Breen. It's going to be just talking about all of the things, which can help be a good tool. Sure. But then would you say that, that there is that oversight about which areas to improve on as people uh, – Uh, perhaps uh, are not aware of the individual pillars that you spoke about then, so that they're not even aware at all. And so they're just thinking, I'm going to go buy this book. I'm just going to get some advice and then hopefully that'll solve my problem. And then I guess because they're not aware, that then doesn't help with their overall leadership performance.
0: Yeah. And and I think the the thing that we've got is that each brain of each person is unique. And so I think it's always good to educate yourself with awareness, and there's a lot of great books out there, etc. But they're talking about general patterns of leadership. If you want to improve your leadership, you need to look at your brain and what areas you you need to upgrade and improve in your subconscious thinking habits, which will then automatically improve your leadership capabilities because it goes from you know being uh consciously aware of an area that you're not so good at and then you start working on it to get better but it's still clunky and and what we do is we we, we do the practice drills uh, uh, that get harder and harder so finally it gets uh rewired into the brain and becomes a subconscious competence which just means you can do it without thinking so, for a lot of people, and particularly in the social leadership area or across a number of leadership skills, if you have to really think about it and you find it hard and it's difficult or you avoid it or it takes you a lot longer or whatever you do, that type of activity, you're mentally drained, it's saying to you it's a subconscious thinking habit issue. It's not a knowledge issue. And so, by getting, as you were talking about there, by getting your own profile done, you, it's like... I think as we discussed there, Carissa, that the brain doesn't come with a user manual. And what we're basically doing is giving each person their own personalised user manual on what's working with their brain, where it can be improved, and how to get the most out of it. So it does need to get down to that individual level um, to work out what's going to work for you because what your needs as an individual might be might be completely different than somebody else's. So that's why it's so important to do the quantitative test and assessment. And as you know, it's 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 it is a test that is quantitative. It's all just pictures and diagrams, so you can't game it. We're not asking you do you want to be the chief librarian or, or the head of an advertising agency. It's really just isolating each of those uh, brain muscle groups for one of a better term, just like if you went to a gym, you you, you isolate the physical muscle groups 'Cause that's the way you need to test it to make sure that you're getting an accurate reading.
1: Yeah, it's so true, and that's what I really liked about doing the doing the test. So we've sort of touched on this throughout the the interview today, but I mean, just to reiterate the common issue that I believe that is illuminating the cybersecurity space so that many leaders have a hard time getting funding for their practice or getting their business on board. Why security is important, which probably then falls back to that social leadership component. And like you said, people with technical hard skills on that on that front are probably lacking in the social the social game, so to speak. And so that's probably why many of them are struggling with the, the areas listed before the getting the funding for their practice, etc. So. First of all, does this not surprise you based on your experience in the field, what you've already spoken about, uh, with other leaders that you've worked with in our space before?
0: Sure. I, I think there's a bit of a journey. So, uh, and again, we've got to be careful not to overgeneralise because there's plenty of people in the, in the technical area that do have good social skills. So I, I don't want to sort of get the impression that nobody does. But for, for those where they find that perhaps a bit more challenging, so often uh, they can have what we call high IQ. They kind of have moderate EQ. They're kind of aware of it, but haven't quite got the art of it uh, working working properly. And also, what's happening more is not only to enhance the EQ, but it's to enhance the the adaptability equation or the AQ. So, so if you I think I'm just uh, from memory, I think from the World Economic Forum, they said that 1 billion people will need to be reskilled by 2030 uh, and and half people will need, uh, 20, 50% of people will need reskilling by 2025. So the whole thing that the most important asset now is the brain's fluid thinking, because it's going to drive the learning agility because if you thought we had to be on a continuous learning before, it's into that you ain't seen nothing yet with the fourth industrial revolution. So the one thing I would counsel is to get the learning agility up, the uh, 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 application of the new learning up and that adaptability. And these are all underpinned by the fluid thinking. So that's the one counseling I would give because if you get If you address those three things if you address the fluid thinking then it impacts uh not only iq it impacts eq and it also impacts the the aq or the adaptability uh, quotient because we're getting down to that root cause level
1: no, I really appreciate you sharing that. And yes, you're right. Of course, there are caveats. Uh, I, I was high on the social leadership, so I'm probably an anomaly, but it's probably why I'm doing what I'm doing today, because I found myself in roles in the social game, because no one else wanted to do it, and I was the only one left that could do it. So I guess that's how I've defaulted in this position, because it was my strength. So just on that note, this is an executive podcast, not just only for CIOs and CTOs, but for all executives that want to have an appreciation for cybersecurity. And I know one of the common frustrations that many executives come to me about specifically is that social leadership game, how to get people to, to not click on links and how to get their board to give them more money. The same stuff I sort of spoke about before, which is a very common problem. Uh, so I'm, I'm keen to sort of get some advice from you uh, who need to, the executives who need to hone in on their social leadership skills, uh, because this is the main driver for influencing decision as well.
0: Yeah, it, it, it's interesting. There's a, there's a a kind of funny uh, connection between those two points of you were saying not click on that link. The thing is um, m- most people will get a sense, a gut feel, as to whether they should click on a link or not. And, and that's underpinned by the intuitive thinking, which also impacts the social leadership. So, ironically enough, if you want to get people understanding about um, cybersecurity and and being aware of uh, different things, you can give them examples of what to be aware of. But you need to increase their intuitive thinking. So, you know that little Jiminy Cricket on the shoulder goes, "Hold on a minute, that looks really suspicious to me." Let's just um, check that out uh, before we go any bit further there. Because, again, if you don't get that signal to the brain that that looks suspicious and you're rushed and you're busy and you're not focused and you just click on it and then all hell breaks, it's because your brain's intuitive thinking, your gut feel, your street smarts wasn't attuned to trigger to the brain, hey, something doesn't look right here. And it's the same intuitive thinking that's really important in social leadership. So ironically, the the way to get people more engaged with cybersecurity, whether it's getting new funding or whether it's making sure that people engage in doing the, the courses, is to getting back to that why and getting back to that sensing. Because some of the things that uh, the cyber criminals do is they look at the way brain the brain processes information and they set it up. <laughs> to, uh, in a very clever manner from a cognitive point of view, to kind of invite you in, l- lull the, 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 the intuitive thinking. So just remember that the cyber criminals are the ones that are also using the cognitive science and psychology to put in things, triggers that people will do automatically there. So, um, so uh, it, it's important that we kind of get the trigger as to investigate this more and just don't go into automatic mode and click on the, the link and, and regret it afterwards. But it's also the same thing that if somebody's got a great new cybersecurity product and they're wanting funding, again, you have to engage with the funder in terms of, well, why is this so important? Or, or why is well, your solution so much better than what else is on the market? And too many people fall in love with their technology and talk about the what and the, and the, and the how they do it you know, it's it's like a parent having a proud child. But if the funder hasn't been engaged, if their brain hasn't been engaged as to, well, why is this a game changer? Then the what and the how, again, is going to make no difference.
1: That's so true. And I guess sort of what was coming up in my brain when you were talking around increasing staff's intuitive thinking and that sensing side of our brains is that, Perhaps leaders could start that, that 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 saying, which is if you give a man to fish, you feed him for a day. But if you teach a man to fish, you feed him for a lifetime. So maybe that's sort of some of the theories that leaders have to sort of incorporate into that intuitive and that sensing something doesn't feel right. Just saying don't click on it is, again, you're only sort of feeding uh, a man for a day rather than that lifetime. Would you say that's a good way of interpreting that?
0: Yeah, and again, what we're saying is um, the intuitive is the sensing that just says check it out further before you click on it from there. Um, and, and because, again, it's very clever the way a lot of these emails and, and SMS messages and, and, uh, and other social media things are done. They're done to lull your brain or they're written in a way that lulls your brain. Uh, in, in, into not critically thinking about what's going on and not sensing what's going on. It's almost Pavlovian. Oh, that looks interesting. Bang, and and so that's why we need to get both the uh, the intuitive thinking up, but we also need to get the the, the critical thinking up, which is a, a, you know more related to the complex problem solving. So that it critically uh, analyzes um, what's going on, and uh, and you get to the stage, well, if I'm not sure, I'm going to talk to you know the head tech person who looks after cybersecurity and, and check it out before you just automatically um, hit on the uh, hit on the link there.
1: So, in your opinion, Philip, would you say that most leaders focus too much on the complex problem solving, and I mean not consciously, uh, rather than the social leadership side of things, like in terms of the skill set?
0: Yeah, well, it's kind of interesting. um, If I just quickly recap on on the flow of the pillars. So first of all, you've got to be focused on an issue or a problem. The complex problem solving is often where a lot of the intellectual fun or joy comes from. And and then we need to move into the strategy planning and execution. And and some people suffer from, well, the, the Intellectually satisfying pieces to come up with the solution, um, actually, just implementing is, is, is boring. But the thing that really is the difference that makes a difference let's say you come up with a great solution, you work out a great strategy plan and implementation approach. But if you pay no attention to how I communicate to the people, how I delegate to the people, to how I get their engagement and buy in, then it's going to go nowhere. And funnily enough, is in the book that I'm writing. I'm saying it's actually the most important one because you can get the first, you can you can knock the ball out of the park on the first three pillars, but the one that either makes it or breaks it is the fourth pillar, of the social leadership. Because if people don't come on the journey with you, then it never gets implemented the way that you want it.
1: It's so true. I mean, I always just say to people when you're working in a corporation you could be the smartest guy in the room but if people don't like you you're out the door but if you play a good social game you might not have to be the smartest person you will hang around so i think that is the way i have looked at how this applies you don't have to be the smartest person in the room but if you can influence the room that is where I think a lot of the the buying decisions happen because you've got this art to influence people into something rather than just knowing it all because it comes across, like you said, arrogance and people don't want to deal with arrogant people at the end of the day.
0: Yeah, and, and the, the interesting thing is when I talk to people there that, that do get that arrogant tag, I say sometimes I would imagine your brain hurts uh, almost physically, when people don't get what you see as so simple and, 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 and your frustration gets misinterpreted for arrogance and they said, you're the only person that understood how this impacts on me. So I talked to them about, look, you've obviously got great book smarts. Everybody in the company knows you, you, you're kind of the one of the smartest people in the room. We just need to add to that and get the brain balance there, get that mental, gee, we, we just need to add the social smarts to it. And for them, that's what's the toughest thing to do, and doesn't make any sense to them because they're almost wondering, how can, how can I be so intelligent to help book smarts yet not work out the, the, it's almost like the unwritten social code of, of street smarts. And so what we do is we unlock that unwritten social code so people can pick up the cues and their brain routines can work out how to handle it differently. Because if you think of uh, the social smarts, Carissa, it, 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 it's an unwritten uh, guideline code and people don't know they've crossed it until they have. And by then, it's too late. So, that's why it's so important to balance out that social smarts with the book smarts.
1: That's so true. I mean, that's where most of the frustration comes from in the industry. If you're speaking to a super technical person and they're speaking to someone that doesn't quite get it, they're almost frustrated. And I've seen it firsthand. It's like, oh, I can't believe that guy didn't understand what was going on about. I'm like, well, they're not you. And I guess it's, again, having that social aspect to understand how to explain it in a different way. But absolutely, that is a big problem that we see in this industry because you've got someone super technical that gets it that then gets frustrated because the guy beside him doesn't get it. And then you, you kind of have this Mexican standoff because no one wants to see the other person's perspective <laughs> <Yeah>. as well. <laughs> So, it happens a lot, absolutely. And I think that that then doesn't create the camaraderie then then you have sort of this this fight against one another. So we, we are trying to solve that problem. And it's gonna it's gonna be a slower problem to solve. But I think having people on the show like yourself that doesn't come from this world, however, you've got this this background that can enable people to understand inherently, these are my problems. this is how I can move towards it. Uh, in, in a plan that, that makes sense to people as well. So I guess my last question for you today, Philip, is without knowing specifically what areas uh, leaders need to focus on, because I haven't done the fluid thinking, which I get, so it is going to be rather generic advice. But because of what we've spoken about today, and the, your understanding of the industry and the frustrations that occur, what would be some of your closing advice to leaders who are looking to improve their leadership game?
0: Yeah, um, interesting, Carissa. So, as you know, we we work in the USA, we work in in Europe and and Asia Pac, and and although some of the issues and environmental and business contexts might be different, these pillars of the cognitive capability are pretty consistent across all cultures. From there, so what I would really encourage them to do is first of all. Uh, you know, as, as you were saying earlier, get to know your own brain and how it works because just reading really general information may not be as applicable to your brain or it may not be as easy for you to learn. So just as, uh, you know, the, the, the tech people may get frustrated with other people not understanding it, often the tech person with, with lower social smarts finds it, very frustrating to try and develop those social smarts, and they say to me, "Look, if I I know it's important, if I could do it, I'd already be doing it, but I don't have a solution to it." So, if you can get to understand how your own brain works across those ten dimensions, you can then look at how can you do a brain upgrade to. Um, to work on the different pillars. So if being distracted is an issue, you work on the focus thinking. If complex problem solving is an issue, or which one of the three particular ones or or more are causing grief. If it's getting the strategic thinking and delegating that are issues, well, let's work out what's causing that. And on the social leadership, the final pillar, well, you know, again, let's, let's get quantitative and get data driven and find out what's working and what's not. Because if if, if you want to improve somebody's social leadership or, or their emotional uh, intelligence, you need to apply different approaches to different people because there's not one shoe fits all. If there was, it would already be happening that way. That's why I encourage people, get an understanding of their brain, get it tested, and then work out how do you specifically upgrade your brain routines uh so that they're as effective and efficient as uh, as your strengths
1: i love that i think that's awesome i uh yeah as i, I just want to read it again i really appreciated uh, the the test uh and then doing the report because it really illuminated things to me that yes i i did know like as in my intuitive thinking knew that but of course uh, I want to I want to be better I, I want to know efficiently where I can be better like not focus on areas that I'm have a strength at. so really do appreciate that so Philip I want to thank you for your time I think this has been a really interesting session because you've sort of almost flipped the industry on its head in terms of how we should be approaching security awareness and influencing decision makers and things like that probably areas that people that I've spoken to which is a lot haven't probably considered before. So I really appreciate you sharing that 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 your point of view, uh, and your knowledge. If people have a question for you, perhaps I didn't ask you today. How can they go about getting in contact with you?
0: Sure. The the best way to contact me is on my email, which is uh, Philip with two L's, P H I L L I P dot Campbell C A M P B E L L at enigmafit.com and that's spelled e-n-i-g-m-a-f-i-t.com
1: awesome well thank you so much again for your time and i can't wait to get you back on the show thanks very much
0: okay thank you for having me as your guest and i've really enjoyed it uh, carissa
1: thanks for tuning in we hope that you found today's episode useful and you took away a few key points Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast to get our latest episodes. If you'd like to find out how KBI can help grow your cyber business, then please head over to kbi.digital.
0: This podcast was brought to you by KBI.media, the voice of cyber.